welcome if you're joining us, um, possibly for the first time. Um, we're going through a series in the book of John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And our ser- series is called Superman HD. Superman HD, because we believe this helpfully describes the Lord Jesus in terms of his humanity, but also his divinity, hence HD. Um, today, we're going to be in John chapter 8. And the title for our message is Jesus, the light and life of the world. Could I get you to repeat that after me? Or with me, maybe? Jesus, the light and life of the world. Let me take a minute to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that this is very true of who you are. And particularly in our text, we're going to see that this is reflective of the Lord Jesus. Father, would you help us to see this great truth or these great truths that point to the fact that Jesus is God? Help us, we pray. And it's in his name we ask. Amen. Amen. Now imagine having to do a 1,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Now that's, I heard someone say, mm-mm. Now imagine doing it without the cover. It's, <clears throat> how do you know where, the, where, the, where the, the, the sky is or where the grass is, you know what I'm saying, or where the house is or where the people are? You ain't got no cover. How are you going to know where to put what? I mean, it's hard enough having the cover, right? And to make matters worse, you only have, in my example, 500 of those 1,000 pieces. And they're not all the half of the puzzle, so you can just put them together quite easily. It's all over the place. How difficult and how challenging would that be? Inevitably, you're going to have gaps. What we will see today is half of a conversation, if you like, half of a 1,000-piece puzzle. There's still a a part of the conversation that's missing that we won't hear until Richard shares shares with us next week. And to further complicate matters, half of this 1,000-piece puzzle (laughs) is actually part of a larger 50,000-piece puzzle. This today is half of a full story because it's only a part of chapter 8, which is, quote-unquote, the full story. But even that is not the full story because then you've got the whole book of John. And then that's not the full story of the whole Bible because you've got another 66 books, another 65 books. So, hopefully you're with me in John chapter 8. We're going to read these verses. Excuse me. Starting at verse 12. I'm reading from the ESV. Again, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true, Jesus answered. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or, or, or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is It's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. 
in your law it is written that the testimony of two of two people is true i am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me they said to him therefore where is your father jesus answered you know neither me nor my father if you knew me you would know my father also these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come verse 21 so he said to them again i am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where i am going you cannot come so the jews said will he kill himself since he says where i am going you cannot come he said to them you're from below i am from above you are of this world i am not of this world i told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that i am that i am he you will die in your sins so they said to him who are you jesus said to them just what i have been telling you from the beginning i have much to say about you and much to judge but he who sent me is true and i declare to the world what i have heard from him they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father so jesus said to them when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that i am he and that i do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me he has not left me alone for i always do the things that are pleasing to him as he was saying these things many believed in him <clears throat> our text today unlike last week isn't questionable with regards to its inclusion in this particular part of John's gospel unlike the previous section so last week we said depending on which translation you use one will argue for the inclusion while another might recommend the exclusion of that text that text that we looked at last week <clears throat> remember i gave you the quote from Warren Wiersbe and FF Bruce um that says John chapter 7 verse 53 to chapter 8 verse 11 right the woman caught in adultery story that we did last week does not appear in all of the greek manuscripts of the new testament where it is found it is not always in this location in john's gospel most scholars agree that the passage is a part of inspired scripture regardless of where it is placed and i said that there's a strong argument on both sides and try to encapsulate it in a couple of statements. So first that this text that is that text that we looked at last week fits perfectly in this book and I think I gave I tried to give you some evidence for that last week. But then number 2 there's an argument that says it doesn't fit because it breaks the flow of the narrative. Last Sunday we focused on the first point that it fit perfectly in the book. <clears throat> and 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 I think this will make a little bit more sense if you listen to if you heard last week's message um but today we're going to focus on the second point that is that that text doesn't fit because it breaks with the flow of the narrative so if you like I'm going to try and pick up the narrative from the end of chapter 7 if I can't convince you I'll confuse you right and um today we're going to focus on the second point so it could be argued um 
that the story about the, the woman caught in the act of adultery, if you subtract that, our text, verse 12, picks up nicely from where that began. Now, after saying all that, if you walk away with anything from today, and, and I would hope that you do, I would hope that you walk away from two sub-points and one main point. Two sub-points are Jesus is the light of the world. And the second sub-point is that Jesus is the life of the world. And how many of you know he can't be any of those two things, which is my main point, which is that Jesus is God. And this fits with John's argument throughout the whole of the book. He's, he's, what can I say? he's Superman. What can I say? So as we've been seeing throughout John, this is consistent reoccurring theme. Those that accept Jesus for who he is versus those that reject him, right? And again, we're going to see this pattern repeated in a moment. Now, 95% of our text today, 18 out of 19 verses, focuses on those that reject Jesus. Essentially, Those who reject God. Verse 19 is our 5%. It's it's probably not technically 5%, but roughly. Verse 19 refers to the group who respond positively as opposed to those that don't in verse 12 to 18. You with me? (laughs) Okay. Again, we see Jesus split the crowd into two categories. Those who believe versus those that don't. Now from verse 20... If you have a chance to glance down at that, I try to always encourage you, just have the text open. You don't have to turn anywhere. I'm going to put all the verses that I quote up on the screen. Just please keep your nose in, in John chapter 8. So from verse 20, we see that the Lord Jesus is teaching where? Trying to get some crowd participation. In the court. Thank you, my sister. In the temple, right? In a particular place called the treasury. Now, based on the exclusion of our previous section, picking up from chapter 7, verse 52, would mean that we are still in the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there are possibly hundreds, but probably thousands of people gathered in this temple area. And in the section immediately before this, Ashley reminded us that, that we're at the last day of this major Jewish feast called Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, I'm trying to paint this picture because we're not Jewish. You know what I'm saying? And if we don't understand the background, then there's so much of the richness that we lose. So this is this major feast. Now, in conjunction with many things that took place during this, this feast, this festival, at a particular significant point in view of all the people, in the evening, as it began to get dark, the religious leaders, they would light four huge lamps in the temple. In this part of the temple, it's also called the court of the women. So you know there's a lot of people here, right? Not excluding the women, obviously. And, 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 and it's right by the treasury. Do you remember there was another time in scripture where Jesus said he saw an, a woman put in two mites? This is the same place. D.A. Carson, he makes a comment. And he says, he says, at this time there was an exuberant celebration that took place under the light of these lamps. 
People danced through the night, holding burning torches and singing songs of praise. The Levitical orchestra played, a bit like the proms are at the moment. This may have gone on every night during the feast, with the light from this temple area shedding its glow all over Jerusalem. At this high point, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Notice, it's not just I am the light of Jerusalem or I am the light of Israel. Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus, he upstages the priests, doesn't he? (laughs) Stating that what they were doing was a mere shadow that pointed to him. To say that these leaders were angry with Jesus would be, wouldn't be an exaggeration. They've already tried to arrest him and to pour salt into their wounds. The temple police returned right empty handed saying, listen, don't look at us like, where is he? This guy ain't normal. He isn't like a regular human being. Like Dean said three weeks ago, he's out of this world. Here in chapter eight, as markers, if you like, we see some Helpful contrasts. There are actually six contrasts in chapter eight. I mean, the Bible can be, the Bible can be very simple on one level, but it can be very deep on another. We said that the book of John is, it's, 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 it's it's shallow enough for a child to paddle in, but it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in. Can I show you these six contrasts? Hopefully maybe helping Rich as he gets ready to do the rest of chapter eight. If we include last week's, right, what we saw was a beautiful picture of law and grace. Remember, the religious leaders, they want to judge this woman, but Jesus does what? He shows mercy. So you can see law and grace. Contrast. Another contrast is light and dark. Verse 12 to 20. We'll come back to that. And also three, we see another contrast, life and death. We'll come back to that. Number four. As you go on through the, the chapter, you see this, this contrast of freedom and slavery. And then we're going to see um, this comparison between the children of God and the children of the devil. Verse 39 to 47. And then last of all, we see the true identity of Jesus versus the falsely pre- presumed identity of Jesus. Right at the end of the chapter. So you see these contrasts. Today, we're going to be, begin looking, right... At number two and three, the contrast between light and dark, verse 12 to 20, and life and death, verse 21 to 30. Hence, our two sub-themes, light and life. Now, Jesus had already previously told them that he was the one who could give living water. Remember that? Okay, well, there's more. Not surprisingly, I mean, when it comes to Jesus, words fail us. That's why we call, as I said, that's why we call him Superman. See how he continues to add to his CV, to borrow the vernacular of Pastor E. Look at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. Jesus, the light and life of the world. 
Okay, so verse 12 to 20, our first half of the text today, our first part of the puzzle, Jesus, the light of the world. Now, this is obviously a metaphorical term, isn't it? I mean, what is the light of the world, literally speaking? Not metaphorically speaking, but literally speaking. Thank you, my brother. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. The sun. <laughs> now, <clears throat> now the, the sun was, a, was, was in ancient Israel a symbol of Yahweh. Pagans worship the sun. But the sun isn't God. But it's a symbol that points to God. In Psalm 84 verse 11, it says that God is a sun and a shield. He's lots of things, right? In Malachi 4, it says, it says that God is the sun, the S-U-N, of righteousness. Now remember that the sun, that is the S-U-N, is a source of energy, releasing this energy in the form of heat and what? Light. As God is the source of all power, energy, right? And ultimate brilliance or illuminance, that is light. This theme of light and dark is not a new concept in any of John's writings. In, in, in the, at the beginning of this book, in John chapter 1, we saw that John says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Then in his epistle later on in 1 John 5, it's really quite helpful. 1 John, John, 5, John 1, 5 and 1 John 5, 1 John 1, 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. I mean, could it be any clearer than that? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. See, this is not a new concept. It's also in the rest of the Bible, apart from John's writings. In Ephesians, it says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it, is a shameful, it, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now these huge candelabra that were lit in the temple during the night... <clears throat> If you like, can you imagine there would be this huge, there would this, be this column of light, especially if you're standing from a distance. What would that remind you of if you were a Jew? Or if you're, you're a Christian who's quite familiar with, the, with, with, your, with your Bible? What would that remind you of? Thank you. Pillar of fire. Thank you. In the wilderness. Remember, the children of Israel would follow the pillar of fire by night. They would follow, they would follow the light. Because once it got up and it moved, they'd have to move, they'd pack up, pack up the tent, the tabernacle. And then they'd have to move to go to where the... In similar fashion here, notice Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. If you've been here with us as we've been kind of studying this book, 
then you might have begun to see the correlation and, and maybe started joining the dots even. All of the feasts would remind the children of Israel about their historic freedom from bondage in Egypt. And the travels from there through the wilderness to the promised land, right? And Jesus, he's been revealing himself through this book as the one who is depicted by these feasts. The blood of the animal placed on the doorpost. John says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. The manna in the wilderness. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The water that came out of the rock. Jesus says, I am the one who gives you living water. And here in chapter 8, the pillar of light that Israel followed in the wilderness. Jesus says, that's a picture. That's a type. That's a foreshadowing of me. Can you see the symbolism and its significance? For Israel, but also for us. How many of you know that the world is still a dark place? And we need light to guide us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now you can't really understand, as I said, the New Testament without, without an understanding of the old and vice versa. <clears throat> and don't forget that the tabernacle in the wilderness had another name. Anybody know the other name for the tabernacle in the wilderness? Thank you, sir. The tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. Like, meeting who? It's the place where God met with his people. Ultimately foreshadowing Jesus, who John says, tabernacled in human flesh. Matthew says he is Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. The meeting place. The meeting. Jesus is the new tabernacle. He's the one through whom we meet with God, and He is God. It's deep. But the problem was that these religious leaders who had rejected Jesus couldn't see this. They couldn't see God. They couldn't see that Jesus had come to show us who God is. And he can't hide who he is. These guys couldn't see God if he was standing right in front of them. And it's ironic. Because God was actually standing right there in front of them. And verse 12 immediately helps us to see this. How does Jesus begin to identify himself? I am. Can you see it in verse 12? I am the light of the world. This is the second of the I am statements in John. And again, it's an echo from Exodus chapter 3. In verse 13 through 15, it says, Moses said to God, Look, if, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, okay, so somebody sent you like, who, like, who, who is he? What is his name? What, sh what shall I say to them, says Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's really unusual language, isn't it? What kind of name is that? Well, God said this in Exodus 3, knowing that there was going to be a John chapter 8. Particularly, oh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. This is what I always do and takes up all the time. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, 
the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God, just in case you get it, just, just so you know exactly who we're talking about, let me just give you, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. There's no dispute in who he is. And he says, this is my name, how long for? Forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. It's like, don't forget this. Now, question, who was speaking to Moses? Is that, is that disputable? It's quite clear there in the text, isn't it? God was speaking. Now, when Jesus says, I am, who is, it, who is he then claiming to be? Anything other than God? Now, you might say, oh, Pastor Rob, that sounds a little ambiguous. Because like, I am the light of the world. He ain't necessarily saying, I am. It's all right. It's okay. This will become clearer next week. When Jesus will say it, what was I going to say? When, when Richard will say it, when Jesus will say it in very unambiguous terms. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Nonetheless, you may not be convinced, but these religious leaders were. Not just by the I am statement, although it's very significant, but also the associated adjectives. You know, adjectives are describing words, right? Verse 12, you would be like, are we going to get over verse 12? Verse 12 is, verse 12 is the, is the foundation text of our text. This is the, this is the, if you, if you like, this is the, this is the, 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 the hub from which all the spokes come from. So I'm trying to spend a bit of time on it. We'll, We'll speed through, excuse the pun, you know what I'm saying, the rest of the text as, as it were. So, they're, they're, not like, they're not like you possibly. They're convinced what Jesus is actually saying. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, have the light of life. These religious leaders knew the scriptures. So they were being impacted by every single one of these words that Jesus was using to describe himself. Anybody know Psalm 27 verse 1? Bible drill. Oh, it's a lovely verse. Memorize it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Can you see light and life in that verse? You think the scribes and the Pharisees didn't know? They're not, they're not like us. They know their Bible. <laughs> but you knew the verse. You just didn't know the chapter, right? Okay, it's all good. See, they knew that God was the ultimate source of light and life. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. S-U-N. Isaiah chapter 60. Watch this. This continues. Isaiah, one of the most prolific prophets in Israel, right? Thank you. Um, Isaiah 60. <laughs> I nearly went quiet then when you said that. Isaiah 60 verse 19 and 20. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your, and your, and your God will be your glory. Verse 20. Your sun, S-U-N, shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. So you may not be convinced, but these religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. That he was, he is God. And we know that because next week, They'll be picking up stones to stone him again. Now, in spite of all of this light, there is still darkness to contend with. Although we have this overwhelming picture throughout scripture about God being a metaphorical light. Now that was fine 
As long as Jesus wasn't trying to identify himself as this great light, i.e. as God. Yet Jesus was only being faithful to the truth. He is God, the Son, along with God, the Father. These leaders of the Jew, hmm, that's nice. These leaders of the Jews were having none of it. Instead of light, they would rather walk in darkness. See the contrast? They respond to Jesus' statement now with cynical suspicion. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. I mean, even if they were just to be honest about that. See, he's saying, you don't know God. Verse 15, you judge according to the flesh, based on outward appearances. You judge superficially. Remember last week? He says, I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge but I and the Father who sent me. I am the judge, but I'm not the only one who judges, because as God, we judge. I judge alongside the Father. See, Jesus is, if you like, communicating Trinitarian messages. And I'm saying this goes to undergird our understanding and appreciation of the fact that that God is triune, he's one God in three persons. Jesus is saying, look, when it comes to judgment, I do judge, but it's not just me, it's me and the other judge who is God, as well as me. He's trying to communicate very difficult and very, very intricate truths. Can you see that? See, they're not getting it. I judge alongside the Father. Verse 17. If your law, <clears throat> sorry, in your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. Like, why aren't you accept accepting this? Verse 18. I, I am the one who bears witness about myself, one, one, witness number one, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me, witness number two. That you have two members. And not only do you have two quote unquote witnesses, you have two members of the eternal Godhead bearing testimony, and these little jumped up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you can't even compare them to God, can you? They're trying to, they're trying to tell God about God. See, see, there you have two members of the eternal Godhead. I would say that, that these are two very strong witnesses that will stand up in court. Now watch them, as always, these religious leaders, dodge the issue. Like, you know when someone's losing an argument and um, they bring up something random <laughs> just to avoid having to deal with the main point, right? Um, maybe I'm talking about myself. Verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Random. Where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. Because if they knew that Jesus' father was God, would they have been so flippant? You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Because we're one. 
These men do not know God and they have no desire to know God. These religious leaders were not about to accept the light but rather choose to walk in darkness. They would not follow Jesus, the light of the world, but alternatively, they would choose to walk in darkness. Forfeiting the light, but also forfeiting what? Remember our message, two parts? Also forfeiting the life. Which leads us to the second section of our text, Jesus, the life of the world. Now remember that earlier in this book, Jesus had spoken to them about his special relationship with the Father. I mean, he always does that. And he's, he's doing it right here in John again. But just to help us, John 5 and the Father, verse 37 to 40. And the Father who sent me, this is another chapter. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice, you, you don't know him. You've never heard his voice. His form you have never seen. And you do not... And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal what? Life. And it is they that bear witness about me. All of the Bible is about Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have what? Life. Can you see God the Father And God the Son working together as a tag team, if you will. So from Jesus' point of view, who is the one that he keeps referring to as the Father? We get it, don't we? Therefore, all of these references to the Father are references to God. So what we are seeing in John 8, notice, is a divine revelation of God. Listen to an earlier section of John 5, verse 19 to 24. So Jesus said to them, listen, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. They're not going to work inconsistently of one another. Verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And they did. And we will. As we continue. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them what? Life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one. But has given all judgment to the son. Can you see the tag team? That all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Wow. I used to struggle with worshiping Jesus. I don't struggle anymore worshiping Jesus. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24, truly, truly I say to you for the second time, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. See the contrast. So here in John 8, we have a divine revelation of God, the Father, who is in a significant relationship with God, the Son, Jesus. And they both together are able to give life, which is something that only God can do. But then there's something else. Not only can God give life, 
he can also execute judgment that leads to death. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away. Like they're not getting it, right? I'm not like you. I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, wait a minute. Will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Can you hear the sarcasm? Not just in my voice, but actually in the text. Sarcasm. Can I encourage you to guard yourself against sarcasm? Modern day banter could possibly fall into the category of sarcasm. These men are hard-hearted and they're unteachable. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. And instead of humbling themselves and maybe asking Jesus to explain further, no. Jesus says, I, God the Son, am leaving. I'm going back to my rightful place with God the Father. You're going to look for me after my death and my subsequent resurrection and not be able to find me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Notice the middle of verse 21. And you will die in your sin. Where is the first mention in the scriptures of this terrifying statement? Genesis. Thank you. Just... Two chapters into the Bible, literally one and a half chapters into the book. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. What liberty, what freedom. But, just one thing. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If you break my law, and it was only one at the time. If you break my law, that is defined as sin. First John says, all unrighteousness is sin. If you sin, you will die. And if you die in that state of sin without legitimately receiving forgiveness, then you're really in trouble. Yet here is Jesus reaching out to these sinful men who just like Adam and Eve break God's law. And just like Adam and Eve these sinful men and women. Are we any different? We're just like them, aren't we? Jesus will say next week, is there any who, any here, Rich will say, is there any here who will convict me of sin? <laughs> There's not one person on the planet, past, present or future, that can say that. Yet here is Jesus reaching out to these sinful men. I mean, the whole purpose of the Father sending him as the Son is going to be in order that he might die for sinful men. 
for sinful women. Who just like Adam and Eve break God's law. And Jesus makes it clear that the penalty is death. But he wants to give us life. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 summarizes that beautifully. It says, don't get it twisted. The wages of sin is death. And there will be a payday, right? Like times are tough and there's times of austerity. I know there are certain people that I know are not getting paid for work that they're doing. Because companies can't just can't bankroll it. This is one debt that will get paid. The wages of sin is death. But but the free gift of God. Notice the free gift of God. Someone said that salvation is free, but it's not cheap. The free gift of God is eternal life in none other than Christ Jesus our Lord, because he's God. Every human being who came from Adam, which is what Adam's name means, earth, ground, below, if you like, every single person, every single human, every single, every single offspring of Adam is fallen, is sinful, is totally depraved. Now, total depravity doesn't mean that you and I are as bad as we could be in a total sense. Otherwise, we'd, we'd all be murdering each other in here, right? We're not as bad as we could be. But what it does mean is that every part of you, every part of me is affected, is infected by sin totally. Like we're, we're, We are really sick. And as sinful humans, we must admit that. See, this is what the scribes and the Pharisees were missing. They didn't want to admit this. But we must admit this. Because we are from the earth. We're from the ground. We're from below. Look at verse 23. He said to them, this is Jesus, You are from below. I am from above. There's a distinction. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, and there is no he in the original Greek, in the original language, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Verse 25, so they said to him, Who are you? Can you see that these religious men, they don't know who they are, They can't see their sinfulness. Is it any great wonder that they can't identify who Jesus is? Jesus said to them, who am I? I mean, how much clearer does Jesus need to be? Just what I told you from the the beginning. I am. I am. One with the Father who is God. In John 2, one of the first things we hear Jesus say at the beginning, right? He's saying, I'm telling you, I'm telling you the same thing I told you from the beginning. One of the things he began to tell them 
early in his ministry in John chapter 2, we saw it, is that he is the son of the God of the temple. Do you remember that? Remember, he turned the tables of the money changers over. He also said, do not turn my father's house into a house of trade. Now, why is that significant? Because John 5 Verse 18 says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. He was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus ain't telling him nothing in John chapter 8 that he never, never told him from the beginning. He's like, it's like I've already told you right here in the temple when I kicked over the tables and chairs. I told you who I was. Jesus says in verse 25, I'm not telling you anything that I have not told you before. This is what I told you from the beginning. Notice that the, the, the two questions they ask in today's text. Verse 19, look. The questions they ask challenge the very identity of God. The two questions they ask in verse 19 relates to God the Father. And then here in verse 25, their question relates to God the Son. These leaders reject God's revelation of himself. Jesus goes on in verse 26. I have much to say to you. Sorry. I have much to <laughs> That's my comment. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. The point is this is not just about you. I've got the world to think about. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot that I could say to you. There's a lot that I could say to you about you. But I'm not here to waste my time doing that. Because unlike you, there are many sinners who do want to hear the true revelation about God. Verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They did not understand they were in darkness verse 28 so Jesus said to them when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am ego ego I ego I me there's no he in the Greek when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Lifted up on the cross. Where have we heard that before as we've been going through John? John chapter 3. Amen. When Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. Right? As, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus is saying, when I'm lifted up, when I'm on the cross, if you like, Jesus' final act of obedience right, to the Father, that leads to him resurrecting from the dead. right, And his ascension, Daniel 7, and then his exaltation. Back to where he originally, Jesus ain't lying, he's going back to glory. He's going back to sit down right next to the Father, On his associated throne. And notice. As we finish. 
Philippians 2 says, And being found, verse 8 through 11, And being found in human form, he, that is Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's why we worship him. Imagine being obedient for 33 years. I can't be obedient for 33 seconds. <laughs> and being found in, in human form, HD. Human. He humbled himself by becoming a... If, if it wasn't enough for him to just be a, a human, you know, that, that's amazing humility from one who is from an, an exalted and vast and amazingly high and lofted position. Just becoming a human, but then becoming a human and then going to the cross, dying a death that hardly can be compared to any other. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even the lowest form of death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name and rightly so so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow see there's going to come a we don't understand like who are you it's all right there's going to be a there's going to come a time where you will know who i am so that at the name every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth natural and spiritual metaphysical and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. Curious. Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Only because Jesus did this act of perfect obedience are we able to enjoy God's forgiveness. Isn't it wonderful that, that we don't have to be perfect in thought, word, and deed in order to be accepted by God? Why? Because, because Jesus already did it. And he did it for us. One of my favorite verses of scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, says, He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. My wife reminded me of that this week. That Robert, yeah, like, you feel, you feel like rubbish? Well, it's because you are. You know what I mean? And isn't it wonderful that God doesn't judge you on that basis? You cling to Christ. Verse 30, as he was saying these things, in contrast to those who don't believe, in 95% of the verses that we looked at, our final verse says, many believed in him. What side of the fence do you find yourself on today? This afternoon. Would you join me as I pray and invite the praise team to come?
Dear Lord God, and as I say that, I want to say, Heavenly Father, but based on our text, I also have to make reference to the Lord Jesus, because he is also God. And the third member of the Trinity, that Father, we, we always tend to neglect, but the Holy Spirit. Thank you that Father, Son, and Spirit, you are God. And we're so grateful for the fact that we've not had to try to figure you out. Like a multiplicity of religions are in the process of doing, have done, and will continue to do in the future. We don't have to try and figure out who you are. Because you divinely reveal yourself to us. And that particularly through the Lord Jesus. Wow. If we want to know what you are like, Father, all we've got to do is look at Jesus. And we are grateful that today you've helped us, hopefully, to see that Jesus is the light and he's also the life of the world. Would you help us to to understand this? Help us not to be arrogant or proud or sarcastic. What do we know? We don't know anything, Lord God, apart from that which you graciously reveal to us. Forgive us, Lord, for our arrogance and help us to embrace your true revelation of who you are in your word. And help us today to appreciate Jesus as the light and the life of the world, that Jesus is God. Continue to teach us and reveal yourself to us, Lord, even as we continue in this chapter next week with Richard. Um, Father, would you help us to step across that line if we haven't already done so of unbelief to belief to resist to reject in you to accept in you to resist in you to embrace in you and we can't do that apart from your spirit working in us lord and we ask that you would work for jesus sake and in his name and for his fame we pray amen Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.